0: Amen and amen. We read this morning from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you, by a word from the Lord that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord we will not precede those who have fallen asleep for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of the archangel the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will always be with the Lord Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Uh, If you'll turn with me back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, we're going to look at verses 13 and following. Uh, But right now, you have to pick one. You ready? Pick one. How you're going to spend an afternoon. Here are the choices. You can be attending a football game. You can be watching the latest, maybe I could say your favorite rom-com, reading a legal thriller or sitting in a deer stand. Okay, you got to pick pick one. Okay, one over everything else. So uh, those are your four choices. Let's see. Uh, let's work our way through this. Uh, attending a football game. Raise your hand. That's your that's your choice. All right. I see that. Okay. Good. Uh, watching your, your favorite rom-com uh, movie Netflix. Okay. A couple of hands there. Those hands never go up quite as high, but but I know that they're out there. Uh, reading a, a legal thriller. All right, we got some John Grisham fans out there uh, and sitting in a deer stand, okay? Uh, fantastic. Now, what I'd be interested in is the person who wanted to raise their hand for all four of those because uh, that's a really well-rounded person who would want to do uh, all four of those things. Now, I picked those four things because they really are different. They're, they're completely different shapes of life, different ways to spend time, uh, generally can you know, reveal some different personalities. Uh, but here's the thing. They are four different experiences, but they each hinge on on the same thing. What's gonna happen Next, As you go to the football game, you want to know what is going to happen on this next play. You want to know who's going to win. In the rom-com, you want to know, are they going to get together? Which two people are going to get together? Is it going to be true love always, or is it going to be a disappointment? As you're reading the legal thriller, what twists and turn, what unexpected event is going to happen? What is going to happen next? As you're sitting in the deer stand, you are wanting to know what's going to happen next, and what is going to work. Walk across your path. What happens next? As I think about our friends of the church in Thessalonica... And they are still kind of processing their crash course on Christianity, the very abbreviated time in which they had to learn and to experience and to be taught the things about Jesus. And they are reviewing their notes and they're trying to figure out exactly what, what they're doing and they're, they're looking over everything. And if they want to review and come back to Paul and say, uh, we have some follow-up questions, uh, there are some things that you mentioned in the notes, but I'm not sure that we took all of it in. We'd like to come back and circle to this topic, and I think one of the number one things that they want to circle back to is this question, what happens next? You see, they've got questions, the same kind of questions that you and I have sometimes, but what happens when we die? What is the role of heaven? How do we get to heaven? How does that happen? And probably most catching their thought and imagination and probably confusion is, Paul, you kept mentioning this thing about Jesus coming back. When? How? What? What does that look like? Did we miss it? Oh, can you come back and you, can you explain to us a little bit more about what happens next in terms of us, in terms of heaven, and this whole big idea that we're still trying to come to terms with of what it means for Jesus to come back? You see, there was a curiosity about what happens next. Now, I think there's a little bit of a sense that we don't ask those questions in the same way as we used to ask them. Even in terms of a generation or two ago, I think the question about what happens next, what happens when we die, about heaven and hell, all of those kinds of questions I think used to be far more in the forefront of our minds than they are today. In fact, I think most people today, whether they are inside of the church or outside of the church, spend very little time thinking about what happens next try to think about why that is so much but, but I think that there's a degree that when we become confident in this world and when we become comfortable in this world and when we become attached to the things of this world we think about what's next less and less and less and today We are a confident, comfortable, and attached culture to the things of this world. So much so that even the presence of a pandemic hardly lifts our head up to think about what happens next. But the reality is whether we're thinking about it or not, the questions and the issues that are in play about what happens next, about death and heaven and Christ's return, all of those things are still true and they're still in play. And the reality is, at certain seasons and moments in our life, they bubble back up into our lives. And you all, maybe in the last six months, maybe at a significant event in recent memory, Even though these questions about what's next have been the furthest thing from your mind every once in a while, some things unfold in your life where they become the biggest questions that we face. But I've got good news for you. In fact, I've got great news for you today. What's next is completely included in God's goodness for us. What is next is fully included in God's goodness for us. Even whether we're thinking about it or not thinking about it, whether our culture is obsessed on it or not obsessed on it, I want you to know that the God who made us, the God who built us, the God who ordains all of eternity, what's next is fully included in God's goodness to us. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I don't know the story and the place and the circumstance of every person in this room today. Lord, but you have ordained and called and orchestrated for them to be here on this Sunday when this passage of Scripture is being taught. With that being the case, I ask that each one of us would yield ourselves to what your spirit wants to do in our lives today. What your spirit wants to teach us and challenge us and transform us with today. We pray this in your name. Amen. So what does this passage tell us about what is next? Well there there's some things I want us to see in this passage of scripture. I think things that you'll see on the page quite easily, but it begins with what the believer should know. What the believer should know. The first thing that Paul says in this passage of scripture is, I do not want you to be uninformed. How many of you like being the last to know I mean, everyone else seems to know something and you don't know it at all. Did you know so-and-so were dating? I did not know that. Did you know that that so-and-so got a job at a new place? I didn't know that. Did you know that they canceled Casual Friday on the day that you dressed for Casual uh, Friday? All of those things, it's miserable to be left out of the loop and not know these things. And the Apostle Paul says as he handles these things, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be left out of the loop. I don't want you to not know these things. In fact, this passage of Scripture caused me to reflect this week that the Christian journey is made up of several different facets. The Christian journey contains several different aspects and elements to it. And and, and the first thing that is part of a Christian journey, the Christian life, is that there are things that we must experience. There are things that we must experience and what I mean by that is for a person to have a relationship with Christ is part of the experience of what it means to be a Christian. They have to have an encounter, an experience a time in which they meet Jesus Christ to be their Lord and their Savior, their Master, their Forgiver, the person who becomes the center of their life. Over the last couple of weeks we've had several folks celebrate that kind of an encounter, that kind of an experience through baptism because that's been true in their life. They have stood before us and celebrated baptism with us. Christianity includes things that you must experience and that means that you must experience a personal relationship and encounter with Jesus Christ. Christianity also includes things that you need to do. In fact, that's really the heart of this passage that we're dealing with right now, is that Paul has been saying, listen, because you are a follower of Christ, your life needs to look different. You need to look different. You need to live different. You need to express relationships different. You need to avoid sexual immorality. And he begins to go through, these are the types of ways in which your relationship with Christ should transform your life. He says, listen, because Christ is in you, here are some things that you need to be doing. So your Christian journey includes an experience that you need to have. It includes things that you need to do, but it also includes things that you need to know. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. Spiritual growth includes a desire and a commitment to to understand and to learn and to seek about the character and the nature of God. It means that we develop as a student and as a learner and we seek to know the things of God. Hear me, our Christian walk includes every one of these aspects. We want you to know that Jesus is an experience, an encounter that you're supposed to have. We want you to know that you should behave differently because Christ is in you. But we also want you to know that God has given us his word and he's given us his spirit And he says, come and learn of me. And there is a calling on our life so that we develop a spiritual curiosity that says, tell me more about who God is. Now what I love about this is that there is no one who is excluded from the opportunity to learn about God. Whether you are young or old, You have the opportunity to learn about God. We have Sunday school classes for all ages here on Sunday morning. I walked through the children's department this morning. I loved seeing them studying the Word of God, opening up the Word of God, finding verses of Scripture. So whether they are seven, eight years old, they are studying about the Word of God. And there is no graduation You never get to a certain age where you no longer have to study the word of God. We've got classes that are on the other end of that age spectrum and they continue to study the word of God. Whether you are a man or a woman, whether you are a new believer or whether you are a veteran, whether you are a school dropout or whether you are an academic, every single person has access to understanding and seeking to understand the things of God as presented to us through His Word and inspired to us by His Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes that can be intimidating. In fact, there's very few of us in the room that would feel like, oh, we're, we're a biblical scholar. We know all of these things. And in fact, if we were to kind of do a seesaw, uh, is that what you call it, a seesaw, a kind of tip thing, a seesaw, a scale. Let's go with scale. That makes more sense. If you put a scale together and you put all the things that I know about God, all the things that I know about Scripture on one side, and all of the things that I don't know about Scripture, all the things that I don't know about God, most of us would feel very much that that scale would tip hard in this direction. Well, part of that is because we are trying to seek and to understand a God of no limits. So we're never going to get to the end of that journey. But there is a calling that we are not to be uninformed. During COVID, Susan and I became people of the puzzle. We, we, we started to go to Hobby Lobby, and we'd go to Target, and we, we'd buy these uh, puzzles. And, and I wasn't really a puzzle person before this, but we had to fill some of those days and some of those evenings and, and looking for things to do, and we, we got to the end of Netflix, and so it was time to do, um, you know, to do something. And so here we are, we start working on these puzzles. Now, what I found is that in the puzzle experience, I'm going to write a book about the puzzle experience, but in the puzzle experience... There's a pretty consistent journey that you take. when you unwrap that box and you dump all of those pieces on the table, like, "Oh, I picked the wrong puzzle." Did <laughs> this puzzle's too hard? This is, this is never going to happen. This is never going to work, and you work at it for I mean, I don't know, it seems like 10, 15 minutes, and, and you're working on it, and you've got maybe two pieces together, "I quit. I can't, I can't do it. It's too much. I think sometimes when we talk about seeking and understanding the character of God and studying His Word, sometimes we can put 10 to 15 minutes into it and say, well, I haven't been able to get but two or three pieces together. It's too much. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. But I'll tell you that because I spent 15 bucks on the puzzle, I keep working at it, and I keep putting some pieces together And there's a handful over here and there's a handful. Sometimes you can get them at half price and they don't cost that much. But you you start putting the pieces together here and some pieces together uh, over here. The more time you spend on it, the more pieces start to come together. And the more that you grow in confidence in your ability to I'm going to get this puzzle finished. I'm going to be able to do this. And you begin to see, okay, oh, wait, I can recognize this piece right here. I know it goes in this section of the puzzle. Oh, this one I can see over here. Oh, I've been waiting for this piece. And I will tell you that as you develop a spiritual curiosity for the things of God and seek to know the character and the nature of God and of his word, you will, before you know it, begin to see patches coming together and say, wait a minute, I saw that coming. I remember this, I've got this, and you begin to develop that, and you'll begin to develop spiritual confidence in the Word of God so that Paul can say to you, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, the truth is, there is one section of the puzzle that you don't touch because it's really, really hard. There's always the last section of the puzzle. That's, I don't know, for me, it's the trees. You know, the trees, I don't ever want to buy a puzzle that got trees ever again. All of those leaves look alike. I mean, there's like literally a million leaves, and I'm supposed to tell the difference in all of those leaves, and you, you put all that stuff together. And so even though you started slow, you gain momentum in the middle, there's sometimes some stuff that's left over at the end and that's kind of hard. And you know what? We've even found that we've gotten a couple boxes I'm pretty sure we're missing pieces. I had two puzzles that had two of the same piece in it. I was strange. Didn't know what to do with that. And in other boxes, sometimes maybe you get it for something. There, there's some pieces that just never show up. I'm going to tell you that as we seek to know the things of God, there are going to be some sections that come kind of slow. And there are going to be some sections that, you know, I don't know whether you're ever going to figure it out, whether it's the trees or, or something else. And it's possible that there are even some pieces that are missing because we're never going to completely see all of it. But Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to experience Jesus. I want you to live differently. And I want you to pursue an understanding of what God teaches us in his word, which includes some words about what happens next. In this passage of Scripture, we also see... Why the grieving should have hope. Why the grieving should have hope. It was an interesting week for Susan and I this week. Uh, Sunday afternoon, a week ago today, we we were at home uh, Sunday evening, kind of routine, kind of quiet, and the phone rang. And it was the family of a dear friend of ours from Panama City, a man that I was pastor of uh, for many years. And he had called me several months ago and said, if something happens to me, I want you to do my funeral. I said, sure, Alec, I'll be happy to do it. But we had no understanding that that call would come so quickly. And so in the middle of this week, Susan and I made a dash to Panama City to do this funeral. And in that time and in that passing of that trip, it was a beautiful trip, because we saw so many people that we knew and that we loved and we got to hug on some people. I was pastor of that church from 2001 to 2007. It's been a while, but oh, I can't tell you that there's just something about God put inside of my heart in that church and that church put in our heart. It just was a beautiful time in our lives and it was just rich and beautiful and to be there and to see those people was just so good. But we were there for a funeral. But not only were we there for the funeral, but as good as it was to see so many people that we knew and loved, because it had been 15 to 20 years, there were a lot of missing faces. And there were a lot of people there that had passed they had gone on and so we were trying to carefully try to understand now these missing people that we don't see we're trying to catch up on the latest on who was still with us and who was not with us. And so there was a part of the trip that was beautiful but there was another part of the trip that was it had grief to it. I remember going into that funeral home that I, that I went and did this funeral in this week. And I remembered so many other funerals that I'd done in that very building. I remember families that I stood with in this funeral parlor right here. And I stood with them for hours as the entire church and community came to see them. I remember sitting in the office back over here and meeting with another family. Probably one of the first people that I ever did a funeral for that was my age. And that just kind of caught me and so it was a hard trip it was a beautiful trip but it was a hard trip but I will also tell you that I am reminded from Paul's words that we do not grieve as those who have no hope and so I could tell the church that gathered there for that funeral about how Alec had made his profession of faith and had marked that profession of faith in baptism 70 years ago this month. And so we do not grieve as those who have no hope. And I could talk to these other folks about how we missed these dear ones in our lives, but we knew that we would see them again. Because we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Let me tell you a little bit of the reason why we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Because death isn't as big as we think it is. Death is not as big as we think it is for those who are in Christ. I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture that it uses God's favorite word for death. And you know what that word is? Sleep. His favorite word for death tells us something about his power and his authority over death. It is only sleep for him. When Jesus comes and he comes into the room of this little girl and inside of that room you can hear the wailing of all of the community of people who are weeping and weeping and weeping because this little girl is deaf. Jesus says she is only asleep and he brings her back to life. Because death is not nearly as big as it is. You see, when you're the God who spoke life into existence, you're not that worried about death. When you are the Savior who kicked open your own tomb, you are not that intimidated by death. It is not nearly as big as we think it is. And even when the psalmist describes death, he has to remind us that it's more shadow than reality. It's not as big as we think it is. We also don't grieve as those who have no hope. Because when, when Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica, he's not the first person that would talk to them about an afterlife. The philosophers of his day would have talked about an afterlife, and some of them would have conjectured, theorized, guessed, guessed, made a guess about what happens in life. But I want you to know these are not theorizing. This is not guesses. These are not maybes. This is the word of God that tells us that the author and the finisher of life can tell us what happens next. You see, in that day, every time they thought of the afterlife, it was maybe. It was maybe. And Paul can teach them the words of Jesus himself that says you can know what happens. And here's my favorite part. My favorite part is that we do not grieve as those who have no hope because Jesus' because Jesus' resurrection guarantees my resurrection in Christ. I don't plan to go bungee jumping. Okay, I'm not planning to do that. As I told the first service, if you were giving me that as a gift for pastor appreciation, maybe shop another five minutes. Uh, I don't plan to go bungee jumping. Uh, but every once in a while, there'll be one of those TV shows where they go bungee jumping. We, we, we lo- used to love watching The Amazing Race. Uh, you remember that, that show? Now, two things. If you're ever going to be on the show The Amazing Race, please learn how to drive stick shift before you go. Every time they get in there like they've never seen a stick shift before. Listen, you've you got three weeks. Learn how to drive a stick shift. And The second thing is just plan on bungee jumping. They're always going to go bungee jumping. So I don't know what happens in my life if I come to a place and I'm on this game show and that if I will just bungee jump... I get a million dollars. I don't know. I really don't know. But here's what I do know. I'm not going first. I'm going second. Somebody else is going to go first. And after I've seen them go, then I'm going to do the math about the million bucks. But here's what the word of God tells us is that when it comes to the resurrection, Jesus has gone first, and he has demonstrated that death is a survivable event because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you and I do not grieve without hope because Jesus has blazed that path, and verse 14 says we follow him. Because he's resurrected, we will be resurrected. That's a good word, my folks. That is a good, good word. But we also discover how the church should encourage. How the church should encourage. I love what it says here in verse 18. It says, encourage one another with these words. What in particular is so encouraging about this passage of Scripture? Well, this passage of scripture tells us Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. The Jesus of the gospels, the Jesus of the word of God, the Jesus of creation, that Jesus is coming back. And those of us who were born (laughs) after his earthly ministry and we sometimes feel like, oh, we've missed out on it. I want you to know that Jesus is coming back. And to the disciples who stood there on the side of the mountain watching Jesus ascend into heaven, the, the, the angels came to them and said, men of Galilee, why are you staring into the sky? This same Jesus who you have seen ascend will return in the same way. And church, Jesus is coming back. Now that's an encouraging word. We also discover in this passage of Scripture that we can be encouraged because the dead in Christ will rise. This is the, the point that I think that the church in Thessalonica was having some difficulty because Paul had covered so much ground and he talks to them about the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back and he's gonna come and receive us unto himself. And I think they're going back and say okay, we've covered a lot of ground here but as we're looking over the notes, Okay, what does it mean that Jesus is coming back? We kind of thought that was going to be yesterday. And really, since you've said that, we've had some funerals. Did they miss it? Because they died before Jesus came back, does that mean they missed out on all the promises that you've given us? And Paul says, may it never be. Because before we are caught up with him, those who are dead in Christ will rise to meet him in the air. Listen to this. Not even death can stand in the way of the reunion that God wants to have with you. Not even death. There is a resurrection that's promised for you. I want you to know there's, there's a little side promise in this statement when he talks about the dead in Christ shall rise because what this tells me is that when Jesus comes to reside in you he stays in you to the very end it's not to the dead who mostly stayed in Christ it is to the fact that Christ stayed in them And no matter the twists and turns of life, Christ in us will stay in us until the last moment of our lives. And then it tells us that for one generation, we will meet him in the air. Now every generation has said, oh, I hope that's us. And so we say this morning, Oh, I hope that's us. And it could be. It could be before we get home today that we will get home today. We don't know. But the good news is that one generation We'll meet him in the air. And what that means is that you are not stuck in the situation that you are in today. What it means is that you are not forgotten across the course of history. What it means is that you are not at risk in your life that no matter what, what is to come is even better than what is happening right now. Encourage one another with these words. as we think about what this means to our lives, I want you as a believer to be encouraged and I want you to be refreshed by these words. Sometimes we have our head down to the attachments of this world, the confidence of this world, the comfort of this world. Sometimes we miss this truth and this reality and we need to be reminded of this truth and this reality. So I would say, believer, raise up your head so that you see these things afresh today. But this passage of scripture also reminds us that there is an end. And that end is going to come in two different ways. That end is going to be when when this body ceases to live. It may be a gradual decline. It may be a sudden stoppage of life. We don't know. We have no ideas. You know, somebody you know, told a joke a long time ago that my birth certificate has an expiration date on it. Well, it does, kind of. We are going to, at some point in time, come to the end of this life. The only way that we don't come to the end of this life is if we are that generation when Jesus returns. But what I need to emphasize is that all of the promises of these words are for those who are in Christ. And I don't mean to put any extra weight on that, but I need you to hear it. Jesus is speaking here to his people, to his children. Jesus taught his disciples in John chapter 14. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come and receive you so that where I am, you may also be. He says, and you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas says, what are you talking about? We don't even know where you're going, so how do we know the way to where you're going? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Google Maps will tell you that there's 18 different ways to get to La But Jesus tells us there's one way to get to Him. And that's Him. There's no other way. Everyone is saying, well, you know, we could try this, we could try this, we could try. You could try that. But Jesus says there's only one way. He, He can tell you how all the other stories end. There's one way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. One. In Acts chapter 16, Paul is speaking to a man that he's been in prison with uh, for the last couple of days. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your whole household. This applies for you and anyone else that you know. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. When Paul writes to the church, in Rome he he says this in Romans chapter 10 Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 he says because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you might no 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 you will be saved so this morning what you need to hear is that these are the provisions that God has made for those who are in him but what you also need to know is that those provisions are available for anyone who desires to be in him. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. But he says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That is an invitation, an opening, a calling to every single person who has ever breathed a breath of life. And so as we conclude this morning, if church has been a place that you've visited, if the things of God have been something that have provided you comfort, but you've never called out to be saved and yielded your life to Him so that you live under His grace and under His authority, And this morning, I would invite you to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I would invite you to confess that Jesus is Lord, the authority, the master of your life and believe that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Let me pray for you.